Oh my god, it's Atomic Monsoon! Again? Already? Again. Already. <laughs> I feel like we just did one of these a week ago. Same, and I feel like we've done... Oh wait, it's also the end of July. Oh. Oh, it is know. today's day of July. Yes. <laughs> what, what, what will the future hold for us? Listening to Death and Wreckers is what it holds for us. You know, that is the thing that I forgot to do last week, is I forgot to thank our friends at Death and Records for uh, providing our excellent intro and outro music. So thank you guys. That If you were listening last week when we were talking about Karch and All-Stars to the Rescue, uh, I did say that there was something I forgot and it must not have been very important. Turns out it was the most important. It was thanking our friends. So <laughs> You just had a severe brain fart. <laughs> you know, it's summer is just brutal, especially Dude. here in the desert. Yes. So especially this year. Uh, speaking of friends, we have a friend on the phone. Hello? Introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you guys doing today? <laughs> Good. Uh, Tom Levine is joining us. Tom is an author of, what is it, 9, 10, 15 books, something like that? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, award-winning author, and, and you've got a Kickstarter going on for a second uh, edition of one of your books, and so we're going to we're gonna talk about that. But before we get into that, Tom, I want to say uh, it's actually your fault that the Def M Records All-Stars do our intro music. Oh, really? Tell me about that. Yeah, so once upon a time, uh, you and your wife and some friends used to own an arts venue called Cairo Arts. Yes. And on Halloween night 2007, you guys had a big Halloween event, and I was there. And I met the band The Dead Gear. Yes. And befriended those guys, and they ended up on Def M Records. Uh, And so through that friendship, we uh, ended up with intro music to Atomic Monsoon. So thank you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's. I didn't realize you, that that's where you met. I knew you guys knew each other. I didn't realize it hadn't happened until then. It okay. was literally that night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, they were they were a jamming band, so that's very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it turns out they've got two full albums and a couple EPs on defmrecords.com. So anyone that wants to know why I have friends or whatever can go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you have friends because you're a nice person. I mean, yeah. and you're fun to get along with. Yeah. <laughs> I do try. It's, uh, you're doing good, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Tom, we've been friends for, I mean, that was 2007. You and I were friends oh. years before that. So Yeah, I think it's uh, it might not be quite 20 years, but it's awful close. We're probably comfortably in the 15-year range right now, that, I would say. It was somewhere between 2002 and 2004 for sure, because I know what I was doing in the rest of my life uh, <laughs> that time period. So, that yeah, sounds yeah, right. That sounds right. Yeah, here we are, Tom. Here we you are. wrote right. a book. I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a well. It's a whole big long thing, but the the book in question today is uh, my second published novel, Zero, which came out with uh, Penguin Random House, an imprint of Penguin Random House, back in 2012, and it was named a best one of the best books of the year by the let me get this right, Young Adult Library Services Association, which is a division of the American Library Association. So it's a whole big acronym thing. Uh, but that was pretty cool. I was very happy to, to get that because um, that means they got it. They understood what I was going for. Technically speaking, it would be shelved in young adult. Um, the thing about young adults is most young adults don't necessarily read it or not at least uh, the contemporary stuff, which is what this is. Um, these days, if people say young adult, I think the inclination is to assume that it's fantasy and Zero is definitely not that. This is a contemporary young adult literature, as they say. <laughs> sure. um, 
And it's set here uh, in the Phoenix area in approximately 1992, 1993. So things are a little bit different. Not too different, but a little bit different. Um, this is just when, you know, all, everything in Seattle is starting to kind of work its way into the Phoenix area, all the music and everything. Um, and, you you know, you still had a little bit of... Uh, a uh, punk aspect going in, but it's it's kind of starting to either fade or transition into what we eventually called grunge, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And the the main story is about a 17 year old girl who has kind of taken this nickname Zero upon herself, which tells you a lot about her right up front. Um, she is a visual artist. She's a painter, and she's just graduated high school and had plans to go to a very prestigious art school in Chicago, but was accepted but didn't get the money she needed. So now she's stuck in Phoenix going to community college and just kind of grousing about her life the way you do when you're 17. But then she meets a guy who's a drummer in an up-and-coming punk band, and things uh, are never going to be the same after that. Having said that, it is not a romance. I don't think my the, the fans I've got for this novel are not romance readers because it doesn't hit the romance tropes at all. Um, mm. it's, a, it's much more about her journey. He does not rescue her. She, did, I, I don't do that as a writer, and I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And most of the stuff that I read or watch, um, everything, she gets into her own trouble and she gets out of her own trouble just fine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that is the gist of it, and so it was published by by Random House back in 2012, and the thing about that is when when you sell a book, the publisher or whatever company it is buys the rights to that story, and then they can manufacture that story in however you know whatever ways they see fit, depending on the rights that you sold them. Well, they pretty much bought all of the rights. They put out a hardcover, a paperback, an ebook, and then that was it. Nothing else came out. Um, so I eventually was able to go in and get those the rights they hadn't used back. Um, so I could do audiobooks and I could do you know whatever else. I want to do comic books. I would love to do a comic book of this because I think that would be so much fun. And so now I've got those rights back, and I thought I want to um, put this out there to the, the small, loyal audience that I've kind of cultivated over the last several years and see if we can get a second edition of the book put out that's going to have, you know, like a preface and an afterword and some annotations and, um, you know, maybe some art. I don't know, just all kinds of different things and to see if we could breathe some new life into this, uh, into the novel. So that's that's where we stand today. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have I have one of the first editions of Zero, which you were kind enough to personalize when you signed it for me. <laughs> Thank um, you. And and so yeah, uh, I can tell you, you know, you and and the listeners, honestly, like it's probably my favorite book of yours that I've read. Um, I I will admit I'm you know well while we are good friends Tom I, uh, I I am not the best of friends um there are still a handful of your books that I haven't had time to read yet um, <laughs> well I think me neither so it's all. okay <laughs> that's fair that's, uh, oh yeah you just gotta buy them you're gonna read them you just gotta buy them that's yeah all. I mean <laughs> <laughs> you know they're they're on the stack of things to read it's just uh uh you know I've been I've been busy sitting at home watching a lot of cartoons yes uh it while we're all stuck at home to, it happens to all of us you're not the only one yeah for <laughs> especially sure. authors are authors are notorious for that because we have all these author friends and you're like oh cool and you go and you buy the book and you're like yay and like that's just gonna sit there dude there's no way okay this is number 30 <laughs> in the list I'll right do my best right know, but but yeah no for legitimately zero is is uh my favorite book of yours that i've read i missed the bus one time because i got so caught up reading it at a bus stop 
that uh, the bus just went right past and <laughs> didn't stop for me. That um, is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's about that's about the highest praise I think I could get for, for a book. <laughs> Um, well, what was it? Because I'm, I'm curious that, that since you said that, um, yeah. the, the other favorite thing that, that has happened to me with, with this particular book is um, I've got a, a, a fan who has literally read the hardcover two pieces, like the spine has just fallen apart and she's drawn in it and tick, like it's just a oh. rack, you know, Man. and I think if I'm. I hope I'm not making this part of the story up, but I feel like she came to an event several years ago and was like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, are you kidding? This is awesome. This is like, this is what anybody would want to see happen to their book. Like you love it. That's tear it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I am, but I'm curious, Andy, what, what it was for you personally, if you can recall, like what, what, why did you miss the bus? Cause I think I'm going to guess for me <laughs> while you think about a really cool answer to that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, I think it was, I'm hoping that it was the sincerity and the authenticity of the voice that this is somebody you knew, whether it was her or yourself or somebody else, but like that it was so very realistic in the best possible way. Cause that's how I feel about this particular book, having written several different things and in lots of different little subgenres of the category, like this one is like, no, this is what it feels like, dude. Like this, this is 17, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm curious. So yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what part of the book I was reading when the bus uh, you know, blew past me. Um, <laughs> but I do, yeah, like, like you said, it, it was the authenticity. Like there's a lot of, a lot of zero that I saw or a lot of me that I saw in her, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the not so popular art kid that wanted to go to the prestigious art college, but couldn't afford to go, um, you know, <laughs> at a, at a community college. Right. Uh, yep. the only thing I didn't get was a random drummer boyfriend over a summer. Um, <laughs> right. but yeah, like there was just a lot of a lot of her struggles, a lot of her her self confidence issues, a lot of confidence in her as herself as an artist. Um, just a lot of that was just like, oh yeah, no, like that's that's me. That's all of us art nerds, mm-hmm. like all all of us visual artists. Like we all kind of go through a lot of the stuff that she went through. I don't know why, but it tends it seems to me that a lot of artists tend to be poor when they're younger, um, yep. or or maybe a lot of poor people become artists. I don't know. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but at least in my circle of friends, that seems to be the case. Sure. Um, so you know, a lot of us are like, yeah, we spend all of our time making like making stuff, and then can't afford to go to school to make it. To, to like learn to make it better because we spent all of our money on supplies to make stuff in the first place. Absolutely. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's, you know, I mm-hmm. think that's, that's going to be true. We were talking uh, before the show started with Steph about uh, teaching technical theater, for example. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's my background is in theater. I've got 22 years of background as an actor and director here in town. And that most of it was on my dime, you know, and mm-hmm. we certainly weren't making a living at it. Um, with when we had Cairo arts venue at Scottsdale, we operated for three years and we managed to not lose the house. Like that was my bar. <laughs> like don't, don't go into <laughs> so much debt. Like, like, mm-hmm. and we didn't, by the, by the time we closed, we didn't owe any money. You know, we'd paid all of our bills. We were debt free. And, and that wow. was a great time to, yeah, that, that was the metric. We weren't making any money. We weren't putting anything in the bank for ourselves, but we were keeping it open, which was great. And I think the, the stuff that you're talking about, Andy, is just so, 
applicable to, to everybody. Like for me, I am not a visual artist. I took a couple of art classes and I bought some like charcoals and sketch paper and stuff to kind of get a sense like for research basically, you know, sure. yeah. but I'm not an art. I can't like you could teach me all day long. I'm never going to have that thing that you have, but the feelings and the sensations and the, the mental stuff that we go through, mm-hmm. I think is true for, for the actors and writers and poets and artists. Like all of us feel that same thing. There's a, um, there's a piece in the book. My, I can't, either my agent or editor wanted just like a few paragraphs of what it felt like to for zero when she was painting. Like, what does it feel like when she's painting like deep down inside kind of thing? You know, I was like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> suck. I, I can't do that. <laughs> So what I ended up doing, and it's a it's a writing technique that I teach in my classes called emotional memory, which is actually also an acting technique that I mm-hmm. learned, I don't know, however many years ago. Steph knows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where you, you take something that has happened to you and mm-hmm. you kind of transplant it into the scene that you're writing or you're acting or whatever. So uh, these couple of paragraphs where she's describing what it feels like when she gets lost in her painting – I'm describing what it felt like to be a director of a show and get a standing ovation from the for the cast, like what it felt like to be sitting in the back of the auditorium and watch that happen. Like this is what it feels like. Oh my God, it's just the greatest you know feeling ever. Um, and kind of transposing that into the the novel. But I think yeah, like you're saying, Andy, I think it's it's so applicable to all of us who have these creative uh, pursuits. I don't care if it's knitting. I don't care if it's you know being a techie or being an artist, whatever it is. We have this. Same same sort of, uh, I don't know, just feel, this overall feel and life experience, it feels like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree there that the, the emotional connection is definitely one that helps. Because I, I think, I, I do a little bit of writing myself. I'm not, I don't have anything published. My writing is just simply for my own enjoyment. Um, but there have been times where I've connected it to the real world. And it's been, and those are the chapters that I actually have the most detail and the most depth into <laughs> compared to the random chapter where they're just having a conversation over coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the truth is, I think, well, the hopeful truth is um, that we're all. I think if we're doing our jobs, we're, we're doing whatever that act of creation is for ourselves, mm-hmm. just like you're saying. I mean, that's, I wrote uh, the first draft of the book I wrote when I was 19, I think. So we're talking 1993, something okay. like that. And I had just yeah. started community college and the whole, you know, just like in the book, you know, cause that's what I knew. That's what was happening. Um, and then doing the math, it took, I think 19 years from the first draft of the novel to landing on bookstore shelves. So in that whole time, or most of that time, I wasn't writing it or revising it because like, I'm going to get this published at Random House. Like, no, it's fun. I just love the story and the characters and let's see what happens next and that kind of thing. But I think the more we stick with that, the better the final product is, honestly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I have attempted uh writing <laughs> um, me too <laughs> yeah, yeah that's fair uh sometimes my stories end up pretty okay and they they end up becoming comics and sometimes there's a great start or there's a great ending and the middle doesn't happen or you know and it's just uh <laughs> but i don't you know like in, in the same way time you were saying that you don't have that thing that i have to make visual art i i think i don't have that thing to tell stories that you have um and i don't don't, think that's bad 
it's just you know like we're all we're all wired a little differently so mm-hmm. that is true i will agree with that so I'm, i i i hate forcing like no you are a writer like no, okay <laughs> maybe, maybe you're not that's okay i will say though that we are all storytellers every person yeah. on earth has a storyteller okay yes um, mm-hmm. in one shape or another um now, now, and talking about comics, I got to several years ago. Now, I got to work on four or five issues of Spawn, which was mm-hmm. like that was the best job I've ever had. No question, I still think so. Um, but I had no knowledge of the form, and so got kind of thrown into the deep end, um, and just had to kind of make it up as I went. Uh, and so to to craft a visual story in, in, in such relatively strict parameters. I mean, as a novelist, I can go as long as I want. I can make mm-hmm. a doorstopper. Mm-hmm. I can make a series. I can do whatever. But, you know, 20 to 24 pages or whatever of comic books with the art and then the, you know, the, the story, the dialogue, everything going in there, that is a whole other level of skill that I'm yeah. still working on. So, yeah. so difficult for me to do, but <laughs> so much more fun. <laughs> yeah, comics is is comics are weird writing for comics is weird um especially yeah if you're going from from long form because you you, it has to be a certain number of pages it has to be Mm -hmm. um you know formatted in in such a way that the artist can read it and understand it and you need to make sure that you're not telling your artist to draw two things at once in a panel which (laughs) i don't know if you had that issue but i've definitely had some people that wanted to make comic projects with me uh some that, that ended up happening and it's like uh i can't draw someone walking and then falling and then hitting their head in one panel. That's not how <laughs> panels work. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I no, did learn, yeah, I learned yeah. a lot about the visual language. I'm still learning a lot about the visual language. I remember um, my one of my favorite McFarland stories is sitting there in the office, and his, he, his office is so cool. Like, it's exactly what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the giant statues of Spawn and everything in there. It's just so cool. Um, so I'm sitting there across him, and, and, and I'm it's like, well, what happens here? And I'm trying to describe the scene to him, and, the, and like every other word, he's just shaking his head at me like, nope, nope. Nope. <laughs> like, what do what you, because uh, I had this idea, you know, there's going to be a, a big new villain and he's sitting behind this big oak desk, you know, and it's just this bare desk and he's sitting there with his hands folded and he's just glaring at his minion or whatever. And, and Todd's like, so what is there to look at? Like, well, he's just like, he's like sitting there and it's like scary. He's like, no. Nah. No, it's it's not. <laughs> like, damn it, you know, because uh, I because I don't think that way. I'm a novelist. I've got the you know I can just go on for pages and describe things. But nope, mm-hmm. I've got a panel. Right. Make it make it count. Like oh, yep, it's tough. So yeah. tough. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but nope. respect for everybody who does it. Mm-hmm. And and on top of that too, like even if you did have him, you know, sitting in this desk, you know, sitting sitting in a chair behind a desk or whatever, how do you? How, okay, great. He's sitting there. <laughs> but like you know, like, and then what? <laughs> yep. yep. And like that's that's the thing that would work great for a movie, right? Because exactly, yeah. You can move around the room. You know, you can have the camera moving around. You can have you can zoom in, zoom out. You can do cool things with shadows and light, and like you can see his lips moving and stuff. But in comics, like, now nah, man, it's a picture of a dude sitting in a chair. Yep. Like, that was one of the hard things. I'm like again, like I said, I'm still trying to figure out my best way to do that. But I, I and I think from what I've gathered, I think a lot of writers in particular because the artists already know this stuff whether you know whether they've been taught or it's intrinsic or both they get that versus someone like myself who's a writer we are used to seeing things cinematically and seeing a motion picture and you're exactly describing it that's a 
perfect example. Like, well, but on screen, it looks like, oh, oh, it's not a screen. Right. Sorry. You know, right. yeah, requires and, and, a... and Todd, I mean, you said you said it's like jumping into the deep end. And Todd McFarlane is one of those guys that he's going to push back on you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> if, if you go through any issue of any comic he's ever drawn, Todd's whole thing is, no, nah, but it's got to look cool. Yes. Like it doesn't matter what he's drawing. It has to look cool. Right. Mm-hmm. And cool can mean different things in different yeah. moments, but there's no, nothing in any of Todd's panels looks boring. There's Correct. always something to look at. Yes. So yeah, even, even people sitting in a chair, it's like, yeah, he's sitting in a chair, but it's a throne made out of garbage and there's all these <laughs> details and there's yeah. in the background and capes flowing and chains. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it exactly. That's it exactly. It's it's just one of those things. I do think that um, writers ought to try their hand at it. There's so many different forms of writing, whether it's poetry or comic books or screenplays. And a, you know, and a feature film is different than a TV episode, which is different mm-hmm. than a. And there's different types of TV episodes. Like oh my, like it's just endless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, you know, I've, I've, it's been fun and challenging to dip a little bit into each one of these, um, but they're all wildly, wildly different, wildly different, which yeah. is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on a side comic project right now. And um, earlier today, in fact, my my writer that I was working with was like, "Well, is there any way we could do we could produce basically?" double what we're planning on producing i was like no i oh physically God. can't draw that fast <laughs> he's like yeah. oh right right that's that's a that's a legitimate problem too mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah yep, there it is um so um so tom i've known you forever uh as we as we established and i i know that i know a bunch of things but i'm gonna throw things over to stephanie to ask you any questions she has because i I know the answers. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Shoot. Uh... I don't know if you had anything, if you'd thought ahead much, Stephanie, but uh, I don't know. Anything you want to know about Tom or Zero or, or Kickstarting? Or, or, I mean, maybe we could explain what Kickstarter is if people don't know. Yeah, let's let's do yeah. that. Let's do that. Um, okay. Then I'll ask my first question. Okay. We can start with uh, Brandon Sanderson. Have you guys heard about this yet? No. Uh, Brandon mm-hmm. Sanderson, very famous and, and successful fantasy author, um, and I don't know the entire story, but essentially decided, well, I'm going to do a leather-bound edition of this series of my books that's 10 years old or whatever, put it up on Kickstarter, and he was asking, I think, for a quarter million or something like that. Jeez. It was going to be pretty serious. At last, and I haven't checked recently, but the last time I checked a couple weeks ago, it was something like $5.6 million that he has raised Wow! for this thing. Yeah. Dang. And I, I haven't looked it up yet, but I think Todd McFarlane did the same. I don't know if it was for a book or if it was for the film, though. Uh, but he just ran a Kickstarter that may or may not still be going on that raised just ungodly millions of dollars. His, his was for a new set of Spawn action figures. Is oh, is that was. what it was? Okay. Yeah, I was looking at it. I seriously considered doing it. And then I looked in my toy box and I was like, I still have like seven Spawn toys that just aren't doing anything. I don't need more of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were seriously cool, like like 2020 updates to the old 1994 i think original spawn figures okay so but, but wasn't yeah. it like it was like millions of dollars that wasn't oh it? yeah yeah and, and same deal he asked for something like a quarter of a million he was basically asking for production money like pre like pre-order yeah. for production money and uh yeah he ended up 
I think it, it was, if it wasn't the most successful action figure based Kickstarter, it's one of them. Oh uh, yeah. It's yeah. gotta be. <laughs> it's absolutely gotta be. Um, so I saw that and I was like, well, okay. So that's, that's interesting. Now, granted, you know, you Brandon Sanderson, very well established, very successful. And so he had a fan base. It was going to kind of follow him. Obviously McFarlane, big fan base. It's going to follow him and, and do that kind of stuff. But those two in particular, I think illustrate the point and the idea of like, listen, the, the industry in writing specifically had already changed, you know, within the last, let's say five to eight years ago or so. Um, I like, I came in with my first novel in 2010, just before Kindle happened, for example, like this, people were still unsure how that was going to play out. We're still kind of shaking it out to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was before crowdsourcing. And now crowdsourcing shows up and people kind of, you know, work their way through it a little bit and try to figure out how it's going to work. And now it's it's settled, like Kickstarter in particular, you know, very well-respected website. You know, you can trust it and, and you know, people do really good work there. And mm-hmm. um, that was kind of one of these ideas where it's like, well, but if you – so if you have a base, whether it's 10 people or a million people, can you take something to them and build this community around it instead of simply – creating product and sending it to market and hoping to God that something works, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I think Kickstarter has done really well as an organization is foster that community idea. Like there's really, and I was shocked to learn it the first time that there are people who will just surf Kickstarter and find stuff they like and support it. Like brand new fans out of nowhere, you know, mm. which is great. Yeah. Um, that's and awesome. so for, yeah, it's, it's just an amazing thing that, 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 no random house, no Marvel, no anybody can duplicate. I don't think um, it has to be that you know boots on the ground kind of thing. And you know, and and it's some of them work and some of them don't. I set a low bar myself for zero because uh, I, I was terrified <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Um, but now that I know, like, okay, so here's here's one the first rung on the ladder. Okay, so I've got some support. I know some people are are excited enough and and believe in me and or the book because um, mm-hmm. it can be two very different things. They, you know, they there's there's musicians I know uh, I, like Andy you and I know musicians from back in the day who it's like you know what frankly not my favorite music but I love this guy I'll support him yeah. you know yeah um, and that's cool we couldn't do that before and and I think it's really I don't know if democratize is the right word but it's leveled the field for artists all of, of all kinds whether it's filmmaking or or inventors you know whatever mm-hmm. um to, to bring things to a group. And I'm, I, I always forget the guy's name. It's, it's something Kelly, I think is either his first or last name. I can't remember, but it was this idea um, put forth not too long ago called a thousand true fans. And the idea is yeah. if you have a thousand true fans, you've got a career, you're good. And when you yeah, do the, the math, it's really, he's, he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, if you have a thousand fans that will buy anything that you put out, basically, hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be the same thousand fans for for everything. But if there is, if you can consistently get one thousand people to pay for whatever you put out, um, there's a few web comics I follow that that have they're they're in that boat now where like they're like, hey, we we you know spent the year making these web comics and and now we're gonna put out our our fifty or hundred or or three hundred page book or whatever, and you know, will you guys buy it and Sure enough, every time they hit that kick, they they go to Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever. It's like, well, the first you know two days, there's there's you know seven hundred backers or whatever, and yeah. it's because you know, <laughs> like whatever it is, it's like, yep, there we are. They, that's yeah, mm-hmm. they've hit it. 
And it's so um, it's so cool that that any of us can do that. You know, yeah, anybody yes. anywhere with an internet connection can make this happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, too. The other thing about it is, uh, particularly, you know, I, I do a lot of teaching. Um, sometimes they're younger students, sometimes they're older. Doesn't really matter, but. I think it has helped me start to clarify a little bit more about what my goals are because mm-hmm. when you when you get started I think um at least for for novelists but I'm sure it's true for pretty much any of the forms like you want the big publisher and you want the big push and all this kind of stuff um and it just is there's only so much room you know the the NFL can only have so many quarterbacks at once you know mm-hmm. right. doesn't matter it's there's eventually there's going to be this many every year and that's it and publishing is very similar to that um there's only going to be so many lead titles per imprint and so on and so forth um and when you look at something like Kickstarter, we can say, wait a minute, I can do whatever my project is, comic book, film, novel, whatever, mm-hmm. and get, you know, 500 people or a thousand people, let's say, to give me five bucks. Dude, that's five grand. Like yeah. I can, I can stretch five grand a long time, mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly if I'm a poor artist, right. you know, um, <laughs> And it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting into that process and learning more about it as we go. It's, it's, it's a really cool change that's happened to all of our creative fields, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, I don't know that democratize is the right word, but definitely giving – Anyone that wants to create the the platform where it's, you know, it's there's no more gatekeeping, right? Yeah, I mean, correct. Like like you said in 2010, yeah, you want to go to your big publishers because that that was the industry. That's what you had. Uh, you know, Amazon eBooks were like a thing, but it wasn't like you know there weren't people making careers out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and now there are many people making careers out of it, mm-hmm. writing a lot of very strange books. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and, and yeah, Kickstarter was around in 2010. It was or, or, or around that, you know, sort of in that time period. Um, I know I was backing stuff in 2013, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the earliest. Um, so, yeah, like it's it, it's it's been great to see the world kind of change and be like, hey, it, you're not stuck going to the big networks or the big mm-hmm. corporations, you know, like you can put your thing out and give it directly to the people that actually want to see it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm involved in several different um, writing associations, like the Horror Writers Association. And typically, you know, like uh, we do uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion every year. Of course, we couldn't do that this year, which was just yeah. a lot more depressing than I thought it was going to be. Like we really <laughs> were looking forward to We look forward mm-hmm. to it every year. Same. And so that oh, just really hurt. Um, but like, you know, for me, like I don't need to be Oprah's big choice like i won't say no if she calls me right. up i'll be like okay sure twist my arm <laughs> yeah but yeah. until then like i just want to go to like the horror writers association where there's like 300 people or 500 people and they're like oh my god are you tom levine like yeah you know like this, <laughs> these really select groups um where you can have influence and and have those really hardcore true fans you know that i mm-hmm. that is so much more exciting and accessible um than just being that super big mega, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, cool. I wouldn't turn it down, but um, it's still cool to be able to um, have these smaller groups where everybody's there for the same thing and and that that camaraderie and everything that we always mm-hmm. get at con. Which, ugh, I don't. Let's move on. God, I'm so sad. <laughs> I'm so sad. About no, I, con I, this I, year. 
I get it. I was I had panels lined up for con because uh, I've mentioned this on the show before, but uh, I'm actually a part of a local lightsaber combat and choreography group, and we do performances at con. And so when we heard con yeah. wasn't happening, we were like, "Well, next year, <laughs> here's the show yeah. for next year." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I've probably seen you guys because yeah, that's just it's such a part of it. It's such such a uh, uh, I don't know. I'm sad. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I must be the jerk here. I'm the only one that's like, oh, cool, a year off from Comic-Con. Great. <laughs> You're not the only one. You okay. Know. <laughs> like, like, don't be wrong. I, I love going, but I've been going to Comic-Con every year since 2005. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I missed one year because I was, like, just too sick to go. Uh, like, I, I was having problems standing up. It was so bad. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Pretty rough. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I've, I've gone to... I don't even. I can't even begin to count, right? If you, even if you mm-hmm. figure one per year since two thousand five, that's fifteen, and I a lot of years it was three or four or five. So yeah. I've been to a lot of cons. Uh, so to have a year like like obviously I prefer if it was there, but hey, we can't have it right now, and yeah. like you know, not walking around for four days on you know beef jerky <laughs> and overpriced cheeseburgers, yeah. like kind of okay with. With taking a year off, saving some money, and then you know once it's all safe, maybe even two years, depending on how things go. Hopefully not, but yeah, um, you know, saving some time, saving some money, saving some energy, and then coming back and hitting it hard and and stuff. You know, when it's when it's okay to do that. Uh, uh, you know, obviously I miss seeing my friends. Like Tommy, you and I hang out a lot at cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, Stephanie, I love going to all your shows and stuff, but like, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. No, anyway. a lot of, a lot of, uh, maybe not, I don't want to misspeak. Um, I have heard from some creators who on the one hand are like, well, that's a big chunk of my year, you know, or my, or my income comes from yeah. accounts or whatever, but they're also saying, and it's kind of okay. Like exactly what you said, like to have kind mm-hmm. of a, a year forced upon them of just staying home has not been the worst thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, totally understand that absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean i do i know i do have some friends uh where i mean their their lives are is traveling from con to con to con selling yeah selling their art and stuff uh and i feel really bad for them this year because that's they're they're just stuck at home and they can't do anything and mm-hmm. uh, you know they're they're forced to rely on online sales which are i mean it's better than nothing but yeah they're you know looking into unemployment and part-time jobs and stuff just to have any income right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing about uh, kind of touching back on the Kickstarter thing a little mm-hmm. bit is with with the, the, the crisis that we're in right now, it's really forcing everybody to think outside the box and to go, okay, what are some other options? Like we were talking earlier or about to start talking about um, what are theater companies doing? Mm-hmm. Now in Phoenix, right. very few people are making any living doing theater in Phoenix. There's, there's a handful, but not not very many, yeah. um, but still, like, well, we had these great, fantastic, uh, well-reputed companies like Stray Cat, for example, or Nearly Naked, or whomever. It's like, mm-hmm. well, damn, what are they gonna do? I don't know. And it's forcing all of us as creatives, mm-hmm. I think, is to either throw in the towel and say, well, we'll see what happens next year, or go, okay, what the hell is TikTok? Let me see what I can do with that. Or what is what can I do with this <laughs> yeah. technology? What can I do? You know, can we can we do outdoor theater? Like I don't know, but it's uh, I think the 
the the creatives are the ones who I think are kind of spearheading this thing. And we're starting to, I think the, the quote unquote outside world is starting to recognize how freaking important we are. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when you start taking the stuff yeah. away from people, it's like, yeah, you miss us. Don't you? Somebody's got to illustrate that dude. Somebody's uh-huh. got to do this computer art. Somebody's got to tell this story. Now it's gone. Yeah. Remember that next time. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I at, the very, at the very least, uh, uh, the theater kids are all the ones that turn into movie actors and there's no movies right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There Sorry, It's okay. I'm just fumbling along anyway. Um, <laughs> um, no, in college, I took a class on the experimental theater, and the, te- and the professor that I had, he was a fantastic professor. Um, he also directed the play that I was in at ASU. But one of the things he said in our experimental theater class was that artists are very, very important. And during pandemics or during crises or big elections or anything where the world seems to be on fire artists are the ones that the world turned to like if you look back in the 70s when everyone was like you know rioting against the vietnam war you you, you'll get like a lot of songs you'll get a lot of art you'll get a lot of you know different varieties and styles that came from that and i think right now with everything that's going on even though the artists are struggling when this starts to settle and things start to kind of become normal, the art is just going to fly off the shelves. I think you're right. People are going to go to the theaters and sell the chairs and everything. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally Mm -hmm. agree. Uh, One of my best friends from high school uh, runs a very, very large um, uh, film festival. Um, And they were, you know, and I was kind of able to watch them track their progress. Like first, like, well, we're just going to scale it down. Well, okay, now we're going to scale it down a little bit more. And now we're closed. And mm-hmm. now we're staying close. Okay, you know, it was this terrible, you know, yeah. just one domino after the other. But yeah, like you said, you know, come next year or whenever this is when we feel safe again, man, that thing's going to blow up because you can't see your friends. I haven't seen my friends in months and mm-hmm. it's killing me. And, and Skype is good and Zoom is cool and whatever, but it's not the same. No, it's just, not. And, and I'm an introvert. I want to be home by myself. <laughs> and I, you know, um, but we, we still, no matter, and this is true, you know, talking about all of our creatives and artists and everything. Like I mm-hmm. am 100% an introvert. I need to have time by myself to recharge and whatever else. But that doesn't mean I don't need people and that mm-hmm. I don't need people in those arenas, whether it's a, a comic book convention or a film festival or a, or a band night at a, you know, coffee shop, whatever, anything like that, mm-hmm. um, to just be around, you know, your, your tribe, your group, whatever, uh, that's probably been, you know, apart from all the death and destruction, has been one of the things that's been so, so very difficult. And I think you're right. Once, once we're able to feel safe again, mm-hmm. um, we're just going to be. <laughs> you won't be able to stop us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, now, I did have a question going back to your writing and everything. Um, so, what it? So, like I mentioned before, I I do a little bit of writing myself, and I've actually. In the past couple months, I've hit a serious writing block, and it's not because I don't know what to write next, like what the how the next chapter should sound or anything like that. I've hit it in a emotionally stressful level, where um, people, like certain people, have been reaching out to me asking me to do requests and everything, and I'm like, you know, at the time I was like gung ho about it, and now I feel like I'm letting them down. I'm like throwing this guilt on myself, which isn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question would be is like, do you, do you, like, how do you deal with one writer's block? And two, how do you deal with, you know, when people throw 
like do people throw requests at you like oh would you write a story about this or something like how do you handle stuff like that that is a great question. Um, so the first part, the writer's block, it depends because if you are doing it um, professionally, if this is what your main source of income is, you mm-hmm. don't have the luxury. You don't yeah. get to say, I have writer's block. Like, no, you have to turn your manuscript in, bro. <laughs> so get <laughs> yeah. to work. Um, having said that, though, and I can't re- I, I always attribute everything I've ever heard to Mike Stackpole. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> But somebody, uh, not too several years ago, um, made a point of saying there's writer's block and then there's project block, which is this one thing that I'm working on. I just can't seem to make headway on it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to shift gears and go to work on this other project or group of projects until the logjam kind of clears. And that for mm-hmm. sure happens. Um, I never have just one thing going on at one time. I've always got several pots boiling at the same time. Um, Part of that is just the way my brain works, but part of it is also uh, practical because, you know what, I sit down to write today and I'm going to work on my adult thriller. Well, that's not happening. Okay, well, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to do my young adult sci-fi. And that's not working. All right, I've still got this over here that I can work on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so having more than one thing to do can be good. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, um, some other practical steps I think we can take to kind of break up that logjam a little bit are writing in a different place that used to be easier back in February it's not so easy now um, but even switching from you know the home office to the kitchen or the kitchen to the living room living room bedroom whatever bathroom doesn't matter porch <laughs> somewhere physically different from where you normally write can mm-hmm. be very good um, and I guess this is why we're so screwed in Phoenix because it's like 120 degrees out and like we can't even go outside <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. uh, normally I would say go to the park but I can't say that to you because you would die so don't do that Um, right in the pool with your waterproof ipad (laughs) exactly and if you could do that that would be super cool um any kind of physical change i think is good uh for for the mind uh Mm -hmm. to kind of kick the rust off a little bit um and in terms of yeah having stuff getting thrown at you i mean yeah it does happen it happens to uh to professional writing all the time because um you know well somebody called and they they want you want to know if you're interested in writing for this you know intellectual property do you want to work for this do you want to work for that mm-hmm. um and there's always you know something uh kind of cooking and that's that's tough because well now you're in somebody else's world it's like mm-hmm. you said somebody's coming to you and saying i need a story and it needs to be this and you're like uh, i don't really care much about that but okay or or it's not the genre you would normally uh write in or whatever mm-hmm. um that i don't know i find that to be sometimes easier in the same reason for the same reason that that uh comic book writing can be not not easier but the, the, it gives it structure mm-hmm. um if you're gonna write a comic book script you know how many pages you know you know x y and z and you kind of have to color within those lines writing for somebody else whether it's a a, a private um uh, you know, somebody hiring you to do one specific thing, or if it's an IP or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now I have some structure. Now I've got, you know, a little bit of a box that I kind of have to stay in. And in a sense, I can make it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for something like that, I would probably be more likely to rely on an outline of some kind. Um, doesn't have to be formal necessarily. It can be. It depends on how your brain works. Mm-hmm. Um but something like if I was I'm, – I'm trying to get into this particular intellectual property right now that I'm hoping, 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 hoping I can break into because it would just make my day. Um, and 
if so, if that happens, I'm pretty sure they're going to have very specific guidelines on here's what you can do, here's what you can't do, here's what you can write about, here's what you can't write about, you know, and that in itself is kind of freeing because, all right, I, I, yeah, structure can be good in that way. Oh, yeah. So I think, I think an outline of some kind or, okay. yeah, is worth looking into if nothing else. Yeah, I hope that helps. Does that help? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that, 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 def- that definitely helped kind of get a bit of an idea. I think it's also just the stress of just being stuck inside and everything yeah. else that's just kind of making me like, I've been writing for three straight months now. I don't want to write anymore for a while. Yes, <laughs> no, that's – and I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to touch on that as well because the, the type of – you know, quote unquote block that you're talking about is very different mm-hmm. now than it would have been six months ago. Very yes. different. Um, it's, it's time, you know, I'm not doing nearly as much writing as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also now learning like, okay, well, there's different ways I can manipulate myself to do it. Like for example, um, so we've got two kids in the house and they get up early and, and it's just nonstop all day cause they don't have childcare. So they're home and it's this whole thing. I'm not going to write anything from two to four in the afternoon. There's mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to write anything from nine to 12. Like it's not going to happen. So if I'm going to write, I got to get up at like four 30 in the morning before anybody else and try to nail out a thousand or 2000 words if I can. And when mm-hmm. I do, it gets done. Like that's, if I can make myself get into that habit, then it will get done. And if not, then the trick here, I think, and not that I'm good at it. So do as I say, not as I do. Um, <laughs> The trick right now in the circumstances we're all in is to try to give ourselves a little bit of space for that. I'm, again, terrible at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is all – none of us have gone through this before. This yeah. is unprecedented for every single one of us. Even if it's happened in the past, it wasn't like it happened to our grandparents. Like, no, it goes back further than that. This is brand new. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We're doing our best. Um, but again, I think that makes what you're doing, what I'm doing, what Andy's doing so much more important than it's ever been before, because now the world kind of needs us in that sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that is very helpful advice for not only me right now, but I think anyone who's listening, who's hitting the same roadblock that I'm hitting and that other artists are hitting. So I think that's actually, that's very helpful for anyone who's listening. If, if that helped you say so on our social media, <laughs> Atomic yes. Monsoon on Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> underscore on Instagram. Redbubble, wherever. <laughs> yeah. And there was, I don't remember when I first heard about this, but I'm, I remember hearing about a story and I'm pretty sure it's not anecdotal. I think it, it really did happen, but there was a, a group of um, student ceramic makers, you know, sculpting and whatever. And they split the, the group into two. And one group was supposed to make one really, you know, the absolute best thing they can make. And the other group was supposed to make as many as they possibly could in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. And the ones in the second group made stuff that was sort of quote unquote, objectively better than the first group, because there was just like, ah, just go and just get it was content creation, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. just as much content as you could possibly churn out. And in doing that, they came up with better stuff. And I think that would be another thing to do. It's like, say, you know what the hell with it? Let's go and just jump in and, and write crap and sing crap and draw crap until it's not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> might as well. Yeah. So, uh, Wow. Yeah, I don't have anything else. <laughs> no, uh, that's good because we have like five minutes left. So, <laughs> like all my other questions were answered when we were talking earlier about the book and everything. Uh, I guess the only question I have is for those who are listening, Tom, where can we find Zero? 
So Zero right now is available. The short link, the easiest way to get to it is uh, bit.ly slash Zero Kickstarter, capital Z, capital K. Um, and if you go to Kickstarter, and I'm sure if you look up Tom Levine, uh, last name is L-E-V. E-E-N. There shouldn't be anybody else on there with that name, and it should be relatively easy to find. It will be under publishing, uh, and then I think I think there's a young adult category, if I'm not mistaken, under the publishing uh, mm-hmm. main branch there, and you can find it there. Yeah. We were the, uh, before we even started funding. Um, the the project was named a project we love by Kickstarter, so I was like woohoo! And then I had to go to my like Facebook groups and say, what does that mean? I don't even know. So, but it sounds like it was a good thing, so that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will say too. Also, um, I, I did try Bitly slash Zero Kickstarter, and it didn't work because the it turns out it is K sensitive, so you need the capital Z, capital K. Yes. Uh, but I also just Googled Zero Tom Levine Kickstarter, and it came right up. So, oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so so it's pretty easy to find uh, as long as people can spell your name right, which they should be able to because it's going to be in the episode description and probably the title of this episode as well. So if you're listening to us, you can just look at how to spell Tom's name. And you're probably you one of the few people who knows how to spell it correctly, so that that's great. Uh, again, I've known you for <laughs> going on 20 years. I know. So, it's, yeah. it's, hel- it's handy. It's helpful. Yeah, uh, and I have got a bunch of books with your name on them. So <laughs> right. I don't know how, I can just turn around and look. Um <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Tom. Where else can people find you online if they're if they want to see more of your books or or uh, just read your your thoughts about writing and and process stuff in general? So as long again, as long as you spell the last name correctly, most of my handles will be at Tom Levine, all one word. Uh, the only real exception to that is my Facebook page, which is author Tom Levine. But otherwise, uh, I'm on TikTok, I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Those are the main ones. I would love some more YouTube subscribers. I'm trying to to push more uh, video content out there. Most of it's focused on writing, but I've got some other. Um, bits and pieces that I'm trying to uh, get together out there because that's a medium that I'm really I've been a fan of and been interested in since I was very very young um so I'm, I'm trying to work some more on uh, video there too so that would be great um and then pretty much Amazon or any uh, independent bookstore you can um, certainly order books from which I encourage people to do yeah yeah um Definitely, everyone, if you are a fan of reading or listening, you got a bunch of audiobooks now too, right? I do, yes. Yeah, so if you're if you if you uh, <laughs> like reading or just like listening to books, uh, yeah, just look up Tom's stuff, man. There's a bunch of different genres, a bunch of different styles, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's it's good stuff. Obviously, support. You know, I want to support my friends, but like, I don't. I also don't make up lies about my friends' work. So that's true. <laughs> uh, if someone's work isn't good, I'm just going to tell them, yeah, that's not. I didn't like it, and I'm not going to have you on the show. <laughs> and we have Tom on the show. So <laughs> sweet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool, guys. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you both uh, for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. For sure, everyone. Thank you for Fun. listening. Uh, and as always, you can find us on our various social media platforms, Atomic Monsoon on oh, Twitter and Facebook, and with the underscores on Instagram. Uh, we are not on TikTok. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm just afraid of, of that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, you can find some Atomic Monsoon merchandise on our Redbubble store. Uh, thanks again to our friends at DefM Records. You can visit them at defmrecords.com, D-E-A-F-M-R-E-C-O-R-D-S.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, we still have a couple minutes to fill. <laughs> yeah. Well, after that big buildup, like, oh, I know. time, and now we've got time I, to fill. <laughs> I thought 
I thought that I it was going to take longer. <laughs> Turns out we're, I'm too efficient. Wow, good job, Andy. Thanks. How's the show well going? Done. I mean, the show's going. It's still we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Now, how many years, Andy? Or? I was going to uh, say. Yeah, we're pushing two years. It'll be two years next month. Uh, actually, wow. in, in a couple of weeks, it'll be two wow. years since the first episode came out. So, yeah, um, our audience is, is growing slowly, Good. but growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, ha- we have an audience. We have people that listen every week. Hello to everyone that listens every week. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people interact with us on social media at all, but uh, that's fine. Well, yeah. it's a good listening. Like you said, it's a listening thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to do more of that too. I, I have not yet. I, I have accounts and then I, I just haven't ever populated them, which is a bummer because I still love the format of podcasting and audiobooks and stuff like that. That's just one of my favorites. I grew up with that. So yeah, but I get it. I get it. And didn't you do, I mean, you did a lot of uh, recording at uh, FanFusion too. Wasn't that kind of like a mm-hmm. big, you know, moment to, to gather a lot of content? Yeah, so uh, that actually wasn't for this show, as confusing as that may have been at the time. Um, uh, I was with Ryan Treasure, who's the host, one of the hosts of Finding Your Frequency, also here on the Voice America Variety Network. Um, so uh, yeah, if you find if you find the Finding Your Frequency episodes from May of last year, uh, there's more of me on there, and I've been I've actually been on that show probably half a dozen times now. Um, so <laughs> wow, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know, Tom, we had you here on Atomic Monsoon, I want to say last February. You were our first guest, actually. Um, oh, hey, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I thought I, we did something, but I couldn't remember when. Yeah. And then um, you were on at least one of those Finding Your Frequency episodes with Ryan and myself uh, yeah. last May. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So y'all can post as well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> man yeah I, we're still we're still uh, reeling a little bit because there's so many people that we don't see except at con you know right yeah um and and just even thinking about you know being in out artist alley and walking around and saying hi to people and like tracking down people one of my big weaknesses was i never because they're artists they, they you never see their face anywhere and i never can put the name to the art you never and then know inevitably yeah yeah inevitably like sunday evening would come and i'd hear someone like usually andy like oh yeah so and so like wait wait that guy that guy's here <laughs> oh! happened all the time all the time <laughs> start talking about your earlier in the weekend i think yeah <laughs> uh, you know whenever conventions happen again yeah they but they will they just have to otherwise well, mm-hmm. i can't i can't even imagine <laughs> all these cosplays in my closet that are just gathering dust <laughs> oh, and all the ones no. i still haven't finished <laughs> oh. and on that happy note we're actually out of time so thanks oh, for joining right. us guys we'll thank see you, you next time. <laughs> bye bye